He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy. The media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today I sat down with former NBA player and co-host of All the Smoke, Matt Barnes. We talked about his activism after the murder of Stephon Clark in his hometown of Sacramento, his aspirations to run for mayor, his coalition along with Van Jones, Charmelaine, and Robert Swift aimed at holding President Biden accountable moving forward, and him taking the very high road and making amends with his former teammate Derek Fisher because it was best for his family. This was a great interview. Hope you enjoy. All right, Matt Barnes, how you doing, sir? I'm good, yourself. How about how about yourself, buddy? Man, I'm blessed. I can't complain, man. I can't complain. Listen, I I, I love what y'all are doing, you and Stack. You know what I mean? I, I I love the fact that y'all have gone into this area of media, and it was. I mean, if I'm saying like it, like it was for me, I didn't really like the media when I was playing. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? And I feel right. kind of similar with y'all, but y'all yeah. are doing it differently to give guys an opportunity. to. And right. so I, I love it. I love what y'all yeah. are doing. No, I appreciate it. You, you know, as athletes, we always thought there was some sort of motive. There was a handful of people that you kind of trusted, but for the most part, you really had to watch yourself with the media. And that's, that's something Jack and I are trying to change. Obviously, experiencing pretty much everything that our, our guests have experienced gives us a little easier intro and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, a different approach, which allows you know most of our guests to really let their wall down and feel comfortable speaking to us. Right. That's what's up, man. I mean, and it's, and it's been great. It's a great product. And, you know, I want to talk to you about a lot. So I appreciate you coming on the rematch, um, basketballnews.com, Fly TV. And I'm um, going to use a portion of, of this for my book, like I was telling you. And yeah. so what I want to talk about is not really a whole lot with basketball. This with other stuff. You know what good. I mean? I mean, yeah. it, I'm good, you know, I mean good, good. So you, you've been doing a lot with using your voice and your platform. Yeah. Um, in particular, after Stephon Clark's murder. And so now you didn't know him personally, but it was, mm-hmm. it hit home for you because it was in your hometown of Sacramento. Right. Um, so first let's, let, let's remind everybody about exactly what happened uh, with the case. Yeah. I mean, basically they, there was some calls that people, someone was breaking into cars and, you know, Stephon happened to be out. Uh, they chased him down into his grandmother's backyard. 
and shot him several times. Um, I'm not exactly, I, I think it was eight shot uh, him, six to eight shots in his back, but I don't know how many rounds they let go. And, you know, like 99% of the cases in the United States, the, the cops were, you know, not held responsible for the situation. Um, I had happened to just be watching CNN that morning in my room with my twins mm-hmm. and they heard Sacramento. So I was watching it. They were playing on their iPads. They heard Sacramento. So they started paying attention. They're like, dad, did you know him? I'm like, no, I didn't know him. And they're like, man, you think, you know, and, and they were kind of just confused and, and kind of their confusion and hurt is what really made me kind of want to be like, okay, well, let me see if there's something I can do um, mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, show my kids that, you know, that, that there's ways to help in situations like this. Um, so, you know, myself, Marcus Cousins, I think the Sacramento Kings helped a little bit, a handful of people helped. And, you know, we just made the the, the, the crossover um, experience a little easier for the family, um, you know, by helping with the funerals and getting people situated in hotels and really kind of doing everything we possibly can to, like I said, trying to ease as much pain as possible from the family. Um, But me continuing to use my platform and calling out the DA out there, Anne-Marie Schubert, she's a very crooked DA, takes money from the police department all the time and, and, you know, has never really dropped the hammer uh, on any situation out there, which is very unfortunate. But I think, you know, me with the platform I have and the voice I have to be able to call stuff like that out and to allow other people to see it and the other people to start calling it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this will be her last term as DA because now everyone's really a- awake about voting and how important voting is. And hopefully we'll be able to get her out after this uh, this last term she's serving right now. Talk, talk about how it, it, it personally affected you. Like, so I know for myself, you know, um, anytime a tragedy like this happens, I immediately start talking to my kids and talking to them about it. And they start asking questions. You mentioned your sons saw it because they're from Sacramento. So that's where you're from. So that's probably what caught there. So I remember when Trayvon Martin happened and my son Malcolm, he was like six at the time. And, you know, he's he was asking me questions about it and everything. And, you know, my... My, my son is tall for his age. You know what I mean? Right. He was six, but he was tall. I mean, I'm 6'10", my wife's six feet, you know. He, right. So I knew that in a while, he's not going to look like a little kid. You know, they're going to treat him like he's a teenager or something like right. that. So there was, I had to start talking to him about the rules and how he had to do this, like having the talk that, you know what I mean, black people have to have with our kids whenever something like this happens. Did you have those kind of discussions with your sons? Um, I did. And, and it's crazy because like you said, it's the talk that African-Americans have to have with their kids. You know, this mm-hmm. is not a common talk that, you know, that every parent has to go through, you know, like, you know, the old sex talk or that, like, this is really targeted at black and brown people having to educate their kids at a very young age. You know, the situation with, um, I, I briefly talked to them about it cause it was so fresh and so new, but then the George Floyd situation came up, you know, this past summer and they're 12 now and obviously more awake and they're on, you know, a few social media outlets. And I remember I picked, it was my, my ex-wife's week, uh, but we had had practice. So I picked them up that, uh, that Saturday, right after it happened. Mm-hmm. And I asked if they'd seen what happened. And, and one of my sons like, yeah, another cop killed a black man. Right. I'm just like, man, you know, like 12 and they're kind of already picking up on what it is. And we, and we kind of just started talking back and forth about the situation and they asked if all cops were bad and all cops were racist. And I said, no. And then I asked them, I was like, you got, do you guys think hate is taught or you're born to hate? And they mm. pause for, and they pause for a second. And then one of them says, you're taught to hate, right? I'm like, absolutely. And then the other one spur of the moment, I have a two year old now, their little brother. And they're like, well, you know, we're going to have to teach Ashton how to love. 
And that kind of really hit me in the heart because that's how simple this is. Like all this hate and negative thoughts towards people based off the color of their skin is a top trait, you mm-hmm. know? So it, it's unfortunate that 12 year olds can see it and a majority of the world can't. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, it, it's a conversation we have to have. Um, and, you know, you just kind of have to prepare yourself because, you know, like you said, my kids are 12. I'm not sure how old your son is now, but they're going to be teenagers soon. And, you know, they really have to just kind of be prepared for this, what this world is, is going to bring to them. Right, right. So let's go back to Sacramento and after um, Stefan Clark. So you, you organized a march, uh, the March for Action at uh, mm-hmm. Cedar Chavez Plaza in Sacramento. Uh, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, you know, I just... Like I said, I tried to use my platform, contacted people out there. Uh, you know, I have aspirations of running for mayor for out there one day. So I've been doing a lot of stuff in the community out there. And just tried to, you know, try to bring more awareness to the situation, <clears throat> you know, hoping that, you know, our actions and our marches would put some pressure um, on the DA to, to, to bring charges amongst these officers. Um, unfortunately, we failed. But like I said, it was kind of the beginning of, you know, well, actually, well, actually wasn't the beginning. Let me take that back. It was just a string of, you know, ever since then, it's consistently been happening more and more often. And I think now more than ever, people are, you know, woke to it, uh, speaking on it, but there's still no repercussions. Um, I read an interesting article that they say uh, 1% of um, officers are, um, what was it? I'm forgetting that. 1% are, charged or charged is the word one percent mm-hmm. are held accountable and then like less than one percent are actually charged for mm-hmm. you know killings and it was just like you know nine nine point five out of ten times these officers are getting off um yeah. uh, of these crimes and and, and, and people want to talk about defund the police and you know i agree i don't agree with the wording right there but uh, to, to, to the bigger picture to me is, is the police union you know, mm-hmm. the two strongest unions that, that are out here are the police union and the teachers union. Mm-hmm. And they're and they're very strong and very backed and, and funded well. So I think it starts, you know, with the reconstruction of, of the police union, because that is the true blue shield. And then I think the rest will trickle down. But like I said, it's a tough situation, but I'm glad, you know, I'm just one of many athletes or celebrities that are really trying to utilize our platforms. And I think we're starting to see the benefit of that, you know, we came out in record numbers this year to the polls to vote to get Trump out. Uh, you know, we 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 encouraged those great people in Georgia to to get out and, and vote in that Senate race, and and mm-hmm. you know we we flipped it, we flipped the state. So, I think now that people understand, I've always tried to tell people once I started getting in this lane that we're not the minority. They label us the minority to try to keep us in our place, but if we came together, we're actually the, major, uh, the majority. And I think right. we're starting to understand that now and the power that we have. Uh, when we come together and, and flex our power at the polls. So, so you have aspirations, you mentioned it, to um, run for mayor. I, di- I didn't know that. Talk, talk to me yeah. about that and when did that start? Um, you know, Kevin Johnson, former NBA player uh, from my hometown, did it. And when I first saw it, it wasn't so much about the political and, the, and so much of the policy side. I just really saw him making a difference in the community out in the community, cleaning up the community, bringing opportunities to the community. And it really kind of struck me like, you know, like I said, I, I had never even thought about politics before that, but I was just like, man, it would be cool if I can come back and, you know, kind of pick up where he left off, you know, eventually when I was ready. So that's what kind of sparked my interest. Um, obviously, there's a new mayor now, Daryl Steinberg, and I'm, I'm working on a few projects in Sacramento. 
mm-hmm. um, to like to say to continue to improve my hometown. Um, you know, I was lucky to be able to make it out. You know, you were lucky to be able to make it out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one wrong move either way, and people probably could have never heard of us, and we could have been on the wrong end of the, the statistic uh, st- statistical category. So, right. um, I when I speak and and the stuff I do is not necessarily for me. It's just for all the people that don't have a voice. That I remember where you know I remember where I came from. Like my aunt was killed in, in the same city that Stefan Clark was killed. Her, her throat was slashed and she was left in the gutter. You know what I mean? So like it directly affects me. And, and that's why I'm so outspoken on situations. But like I said, initially it was just to do better, but now kind of understanding the political side of it and, and learning the political side daily. Um, it's something I definitely want to push for once my kids get a little older and you know all my business affairs are kind of settled. That's great. That's great. Well, definitely my success to you with that. Um, you started a scholarship. Um, to make sure that Stefan Clark's sons will be able to go to college, right? Talk, yeah. talk to me about that. Yeah, so it, it, to be honest with you, it didn't get as big uh, because something else that came up at the time, but, you know, I have money aside for them um, when it's time. Um, you know, I actually lost contact with the family. I, I keep in contact, uh, you know, I get contact, uh, her father, the, the, the his uh, girl's father, uh, we go back and forth, uh, but I haven't actually spoke to any of them in a while. Um, mm-hmm. You know, always, you know, always praying for the family, but you know, when those kids are ready, um, I'll definitely have money for them to, 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 to make sure they're, that they're taken care of uh, when it comes time for college. That's great. Now, what kind of support did you get from the NBA community um, with the march, with the, with everything? You know, what kind of what kind of support did they give you? Uh, you know, Sacramento is always. You know, the Kings are always really good about you know community activities. Um, I had you know some former teammates. Uh, you know, there were there were in, uh, they played for Sac at the time that came out and supported. So, I got some good support from uh, the Kings. Um, you know, my whole situation, like I didn't really necessarily take it to the, you know, the NBA or the NBA Players Association because that wasn't why I was doing it at the time. Obviously, looking back, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. want to connect as many dots as possible. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was really just kind of, you know, it was a call to action. You know, this is my hometown. I'm one of the more, you know, notable names from that hometown. So I wanted to just try to do anything I could, like I said, to, to help ease the process for a grieving family. Did you connect with any of the activists in the area? That's always interesting because that's always interesting dynamic when athletes or, you know, entertainers or rappers or anything like that. Sometimes there's a little bit of either friction or there's um, opening with open arms uh, from activists. I saw you I saw you with uh, Jamila Land. I think mm-hmm. she's, uh, you know, she's, she's, I've done some stuff with her and I saw your Reverend Sharpton, I think at the funeral, but what, mm-hmm. what, what are some of the activists that you connected with? Um, the two you mentioned, um, but like I said, it wasn't even, that wasn't my plan, you know, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I wasn't looking for a handout or anything. Like I said, I just kind of really felt like Sacramento being a small town that it is, it needed a big voice to bring attention to this situation. You know, like I said, so when I jumped to the forefront, DeMarcus Cousins uh, jumped to the forefront. Um, I think, like I said, it brought spot, you know, it brought attention to it. Um, of course, you know, uh, Al Sharpton does what he can do, um, always trying to shine light on situations like this. So um, from a from a friction standpoint, there was really no friction. Obviously, there's, you know, stuff you have to deal with with, when you're dealing with several family members and and mm-hmm. and everyone expresses grief in a different way, you know what I mean. So we had a hard time dealing with his his brother uh, for a little bit. But like I said, you who are we to tell someone how to how to how to grieve from a right. lot, uh, from losing a family member? So you know, obviously there were some small hurdles that we were uh, fortunate enough to overcome. Um, but like I said, my whole goal was just to bring to attention to this situation that 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 
that you always hear about around the country. And obviously you feel for it, but it's a special feeling in a bad way when, when it's your hometown. Do you still get the the um, comments or the criticism from some aspects of mainstream America that as athletes, they don't feel that we have like we're not regular black people like, you know what I mean? Black and brown people like we don't feel the same, um, you know, sting of racism or anything like that, that the rest of the country. Do you, do you get because I get that sometimes. Yeah. Daily. And I'm like, daily. I'm like, Are y'all serious? <laughs> you know, the, I mean, people think because we make money that changes the color, color of our skin. And it right. doesn't, you know, that's how you, you live behind gates and you have X amount of money. Like you don't feel this pain. And like I mentioned earlier in this interview, you know, when I speak up, it's for the voiceless. It's for the people that don't have the money. It's for the people that don't live behind the gates. It's for the people that don't have the platform that we have. Letting people know that, you know, we never really forget where we come from. You know, some people get disconnected and, and that's unfortunate, but there's a lot of us that don't get disconnected. And just because we were able to make it out, you know, that took a lot of luck, hard work and, and love and prayers, obviously we never forget where we come from and we realize that we were one of the lucky ones that made it because, you know, nine and a half out of 10 people aren't going to make it. Right, right, right. You know, and, and going back to the discussion with where your sons, like me, I, I just, I just watched with my, with my son, Malcolm and my daughter, Imani, um, uh, when they see us about the central park five. And it was, it was tough. You know, it was a I don't know. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it was a tough watch, but I, you know, I wanted them to see it to, and they asked so many different questions and, you know, it, people don't understand what, what our young people are up against. And once they look at the justice system and the way they were treated in particular, you know, it, it, it we had to take breaks and pauses like, Man. oh my gosh, like this is like, how, how did you react watching that? You hit it on the head. I, you know, to be to be honest with you, e, it took me a lot longer to watch that series than it would take. I'm a binge watcher. That's one of my mm-hmm. favorite things to do. I create content now, so I'm always watching for new ideas and stuff. But I had to take a few different breaks from that that uh you know that series because it was so frustrating. Like you wanted to cry, you wanted to hurt, you wanted to hurt somebody. You felt so bad for these these kids at the time because you can completely see how the you know the system had screwed them. And, and and how people like Trump try to double down on it. And it was just a really unfortunate situation, but that's just one of many that, that you know, Ava DuVernay did a great job of bringing that story to light, but how many Central Park Five situations are there across the country or individuals or, or two people that have been screwed over by the justice system? So I think stuff like that is very important, although it's very hard to watch. These stories need to be told because there is such a, a, a double-edged sword when it comes to policing and your ethnicity. And I think a perfect example was, you know, the raid at the Capitol on the 6th. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear several people saying, you know, what happened if they're black? And I think we all know the answers to that. And, you know, now we're starting to see people get arrested and then bailed the same day, the next day, because right. they have the money to be able to do it. But if, you know, if, if eth- the ethnic roles were reversed, these people would be all arrested, sitting there waiting for trial, convicted to the highest, you know, form of conviction possible. And I'm not setting myself up for, I wouldn't say heartbreak, but I kind of just have a feeling that, you know, 
outside of the policing system being crooked, the justice system is crooked as well, you know, so I'm not, you know, I don't have my fingers crossed thinking that all these people, you know, they, they, I'm not sure what the law was, but right before this happened, you know, Trump, what is it, a minimum of 10 for defacing property, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm not, you hope, you know, because that's what the, what they said. And if it was us, it would be a minimum of 10, but I'm not holding my breath for that to happen. I would love to see these people held accountable. Um, but you just never know with, with, with the way society goes today. And, and it's that double standard that's frustrated, you know, frustrating. And, and you know, you, you going back to the Central Park Five, you know, you and you see in the movie where they were kids, like they were like babies, you know, and they were treating them like they like were hardened criminals. Right. right. And, and, you know, it, it's just the way that they coerce their their confession, kept them there. But that's real. Like that happens all, all the, the time. time. Well, I mean, look at the Khalif Browder situation. You know, obviously Jay Z did a great job of bringing that story to life, but this right. this young kid was treated like an, a grown man right. or a backpack that he didn't even steal. You know, mm-hmm. was beat constantly by guards and inmates and like treated like a real man. And that really, he had a psychological breakdown. And you know, what happened happened. And obviously, rest in peace for him. But like I said, there's so many of these stories out there that happen to black and brown people. It's unfortunate. Right. Right. So what's the message when you talk to, um, you know, young black men, young brown men, you know, it's hard. when I was when I was um, playing with the, with the Wizards, I um, worked with this great uh, organization. Um, it's called Free Minds and it was in the correctional facilities um, in D.C. And I wasn't necessarily a youth. You know, they it was in the same uh, jail as the regular D.C. prison. It was just kind of like the youth section. You know what I mean? So it wasn't juvie because they were in the regular D.C. prison. And my first thing was like, why are they here next to like the big prisoners? You know what I mean? These cats are like 13 or 14 years old. Right. And I'm listening to what they're in there for. And they're all little stuff, like a little possession of a teaspoon of marijuana or a little bit. Of, you know what I mean? Some little, little stuff. And I'm going, going back to this and I'm seeing and it's like the racial dynamics when they're different. You don't see the same you get a totally different type of justice, punishment, right, everything. Right. No. That's the part that's so hard to, you know what I mean, wrap your mind around because you see it happening to our young people so much. Yeah. And I think it's a situation where we can't, obviously I feel like, you know, with this new administration, we're definitely heading in the right direction. And I think it's all of our jobs to hold them accountable. But mm-hmm. at the same time, depending on the, 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 the system for justice is the wrong, I think, hope for black and brown people you know so i work with a group called advanced peace and we try to get it at the root you know we directly work with the actual shooters or people who are most likely to be shot understanding that all we we continue to tell you know our you know our our underfunded communities particularly black and brown you know stop the violence put down the guns but what are we tooling them with you know for Mm -hmm. the most part you know that's that's their only means to survival Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying i agree with it but, you know, you got to survive by any means. So, you know, with this group, Active Peace, we put them in an 18-month program. We set goals for the first nine months. We communicate a lot with them. And in the second nine months, you're able to actually earn money monthly for reaching your goals that you set. Okay. You know, so I think, you know, we need to do more at the root. Obviously, you see a bunch of companies now with this unfortunate situation with George Floyd, you know, they want to donate money. But I think often... You need to work with the people on the ground and, you know, the, 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 the liaisons of those cities, because what I need in my hometown is different from what you need in your hometown. And I think right. sometimes the umbrella of let's just throw some money at Black Lives Matter or let's throw some money at, at, you know, at this and that. 
instead of actually working with the people in the community. Like, what do you need in Oakland? What do you need in DC? What do you need in Baltimore? Because all of us have all these communities have an underlying problem, but for the most part, it's different, uh, you know, where we feel like the money can really go. So I just think it's important to really try to align with people who know the city well, because like Mm -hmm. I said, you can't, you can't throw a blanket over this issue. You know, each city is different. Um, like I said, I, I just think, like, like I said, to, to kind of get to the root, to, to really start getting some funding in these communities, um, you know, which I thought was big for the MBAs to push, the, you know, the owners to do. Uh, but we really got to start, you know, it, it's got to be less lift service and actually more, you know, putting the money where your mouth is and really getting in these communities and, and trying to help. One of the things that I saw, I saw you meeting with um, President Biden before before the uh, elections. And you brought up um, his authoring of the crime bill. You brought up mass incarceration that, you know, was consequently from the crime bill. And, um, you know, you challenged him on it and you said you wanted to talk to him about it. And you and he was open to talk about it. Right. Tell me about that process, because that's that's it, it, it's an interesting dynamic, because at, at first it was like he, he wasn't going to address it. But then he finally addressed it. You know, it was kind of like the elephant in the room at first. Well, he needed to. You know, he he wanted, you know, at the end of the day, our vote is what got him through. I don't care what nobody says, you know, and and, and for him to push for our vote. That was the first thing that came up. You know, when I'm trying to encourage people who've never registered to vote, thought about voting, thought that their vote mattered, understanding the importance of this election. Well, Trump's bad. But, you know, what about the 94 crime bill? And, you know, what was I really didn't have a real rebuttal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I go and ask these questions, it, it's tough questions, but at the same time, they're questions that need to be asked. But me kind of obviously doing a little more digging to the situation, just kind of understanding the, you know, the, 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 the rate of violent crimes had been on the rise since the 60s. And then, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, what does the government do? They bring cocaine and guns to the to the hood. You know what I mean? So, we, you know, our, our, our families and, and people are, you know, drug drug addicts and, and, and committing crimes. So, you know, it was a perfect storm, you know, in 94 that some kind of <clears throat> foundation need to be laid to kind of restore order, you know, with it, pa- it passing through, it passed unanimously. But, you know, what I liked was, you know, after, after all these years and, you know, whether he's telling the truth or not, he did have regrets on certain parts of the bill. And, 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 and it seemed sincere on righting those wrongs. And, you know, the one thing he told me is, you know, the 2021, which we're in now, mm-hmm. crime bail is going to try to, you know, un, uh, you know, fix the wrongs that were done from the 94 crime bill. You know, so we can only hope to see now, obviously, politicians know how to talk. and That's the right. way they get themselves elected. So, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to have a, a direct line to him now. And, you know, I have a group of, you know, people uh, like myself, Deion Taylor, um, Robert Smith, the black billionaire, Van Jones, Charlemagne, you know, we talk twice a month, uh, you know, and that's just a few of us, but there's probably 50 people on the call. And, you know, we want to be able to hold this president accountable, understanding Mm -hmm. that we understand how powerful our vote is now. So although we put him in office, we understand that if him and, you know, uh, Vice President Harris don't live up to what they promised or said and, do that we have the power to to, to push them aside and, and get someone else new in now so i really think these two 
you know, the, the president, the vice president now are, are not necessarily go out of the way, but I think they're, it's definitely on their minds because neither of their track records were good for people that look like us leading to this situation. But people right. that look like us are the people who put them in office, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I feel fairly confident that they are going to, like I said, try to right some of their wrongs and really step out on the net. And, and you see, you know, Biden's cabinet now is the, more, the most diverse cabinet you know, we've had, and I'm just kind of excited to see what happens. You know, once we can get past all this Trump BS and mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully get him out the picture for good. Um, you know, once they, if they're finally able to charge him with this impeachment, uh, you know, allowing him never to run again, right. I think, you know, we're headed in the right direction. Now, our, 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 uh, our Harrison Biden, the answer, we're going to have to wait and see, but like I said, if, if, if it, hopefully they are and, and, and we can start going that right direction and get them two terms and, and hand it off to the next group of people. But uh, if they're not, you know, it's our jobs to get them out. I mean, it's interesting you talk about that, though, because I, you know, I had I had my reservations and my objections to different parts of Biden's past and Kamala Harris's past. Right. Um, but then I was looking at the alternative. And, you know, so you're, you're looking at the alternative and right. um, even going back to when they see us, you know, he was pushing for these teenagers to be executed. Like Kill. literally, like that's what Kill. he wanted to happen. Like he wanted to have them lynched in the in the middle of the town, like back in slavery times, because they were accused of raping a white woman. And that's it. No, it didn't matter the evidence. They didn't have any DNA. They played. And that's the part that hurt me so much. The the prosecutor, uh, Linda uh, Fairstein. Like, I remember I remember how like in the in the in the in the movie, the way it was depicted and she kept calling them animals. And it doesn't even matter. They had to do it. And I, like that, that depiction was so. So much of an accurate representation of what happens typically in the justice the system time. with our young black and brown right. kids. So right. it's like you know that has to be addressed because that can't can continue. Um, right. You know, going to to a, a new president and having a new wave right. and everything like that. That can't the same thing can't continue. No, it, it's unfortunate. You know what I mean? But if you think about it, what most people don't know is you know how did policing start? Policing mm-hmm. were started as slave wranglers. You know what right. I mean? So anything that that was built on a foundation based off prejudice and hate. And, and it, it was bound to eventually rear its head. But like I said, it's not just the policing system. It's the DA, it's the judges. Like it, it really runs deep. And it's unfortunate because like I said, there's statistic on this, but people still don't wanna, uh, okay. They, they wanna overlook the statistics when it comes to a negative portrayal of a system. But then when they look at our statistics of us being incarcerated and us being in gangs and us doing this and that, oh, those statistics are right. But right. you know, when you pull up these statistics on, you know, our system, it, yeah. it's overlooked for some reason. So it's not gonna be an easy fix. We have to understand it took over 400 years to get here. Mm-hmm. I think we're finally at the tipping point. Uh, I can comfortably say we're finally at the tipping point. And now we have to see what's gonna happen from here on out. But it's important that you're pushing and holding him accountable. And that's like because sometimes, you know, we were under such a dark cloud with Trump. And then so it's like the bar is set so low that anything looks better. Right. <laughs> right. So, but, but still, even though we're going to have, you know, a, a new regime, we have to hold regime, this regime accountable. Absolutely. And we can't Absolutely. be partying so much and just, OK, everything is great now. So we don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you're, so that's why when I saw you yeah. doing that and meeting with him and forming that coalition of all these different people, I was just like, you know, applause. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that thing. And, and I think also what we have to understand, and like I said before, like, 
although we're we're here to hold them accountable and 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 the one thing I'll say is is Biden's doors are open. Mm-hmm. You know, uh so we have to understand it's not going to happen overnight. You know, this is going to be it, it took us so long to get here that you know, we 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 have the Senate now, and then and so things. Hopefully, you know, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill will get passed now. So, like I said, it's going to be a process of changing something. But, you know, this is a critical time in our country because I think what you're seeing now, and I say this with all due respect, is, you know, white men are fearing their power slip away. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think that's why you're seeing all this rebel and you're seeing all this crazy Trumpness is because. The, the the to me in my eyes hopefully the the, the playing field is going to start leveling off because look what, what all we've accomplished as black people but brown people as well and we've always been behind the eight ball they've done everything they possibly can to keep us in our place and mm-hmm. we're still that's why i think people like jay-z are so important robert smith puffy we have to see it to imagine like we have black billionaires out there like it can be done mm-hmm. you know what i mean so I, like i said if they give us equal footing i think that's what they really fear is we're gonna really you know we're gonna we're gonna excel and and and, and really kind of take our rightful place on you know at least equality you know it's not like say we we want it all back we want you to pay for what you did we're not we just want equality we want to be treated just like our counterparts that are different color than us. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to see people gunned down by the police on the sixth, but I don't want to see black people gunned down for sleeping, for jogging, for all the rant, for holding toy guns. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like we just want the same opportunity that you're giving other people. Right. Right. You know who I would like to see join your coalition is ice cube, uh, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know. How did you interpret that whole situation? Um, Um, I understood where his heart was. I understood right. where his heart was. Um, I, I had a few questions, you know what I mean, of the implementation, but I understood right. where his heart was. How did you interpret yeah. this? I haven't got a chance to talk to Cube because actually during that time, he was supposed to come on our show and, and stuff got really hot. So, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it kind of took a back seat for a minute. But from what I understand from looking on the outside, looking in, was he presented an opportunity to both sides. And it seemed like the only side that at the time from what I saw that was willing to have a conversation with them was Trump's side, you know? So do you work with someone to try to, for the betterment of our people, someone as bad as Trump, like I said, you're going to have people on, on both sides of the fence. But from, from my understanding was, you know, he didn't get any kind of response from the Biden campaign. So he went with the Trump campaign. So, you know, knowing cube and knowing if, if you're a fan of his music and a fan of him, he's been on this since he's come on the platform. You know what I mean? Since straight out of Compton, he's always been politically outspoken and it's, it's always been for us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think this is a situation where, you know, his heart was in the right place. Maybe Mm -hmm. his words got twisted or the situation got twisted, or maybe he was just trying to help and they made it seem like he was really working for Trump or with Trump. Mm So, you know, until I get a a chance to sit down and talk to him, which I know I will, I really don't want to pass judgment, but his track record to me has proven that he's always been for us. Well, I would love to see him to come on all the smoke and just clear everything up, break everything down. So I'm looking forward to seeing him come on there because, you know, we, we, we grew up straight like we are cube cube fans and, and you know for yeah. me to get a chance to you know someone i idolize and some i get a chance to know this dude his greatness is right in front of me you know and he came one time and 
when I retired and pitched me on the big three and came to my house and, you know, we got, you know, new teams. I'll give you, you know, so to be able to be a fan of his track record and what he's been able to do with the big three, um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until, like I said, I get an opportunity to hopefully talk to him or I see him talk about this with someone else and, and, and really tell his side of the story. Right. I definitely agree. Now, let me ask you this, you know, because there's a lot, I saw um, a few examples of some of the traditional um, media outlets that uh, get very upset with people like you and Stack. And, you know, what I mean, because you all are, are getting, what I see is getting the interviews that they can't get right. with, you know, people who they haven't even been able to crack the surface with and they've been trying for 25 years, you know, right. but that but that level of hatred that you're getting from the mainstream media. I mean, for me, it just, it just says that you're doing something right. Right. You know right. What I mean? that's, that's what it just shows. But what, what is your reaction to some of the hatred that you get? I just smile, you know what I mean? Because it was similar hatred I got when I played and you know that, you know, you can never, you're never going to be able to make everybody happy. But I think, you know, my whole goal with all the smoke was to be able to humanize our guest. And, you know, you, you know, rest in peace, Kobe's greatness, you know, KG, Steph, KD, you know what all these guys are great for, but I wanted to be able to strip that down and, and, and show how that process came about, what, turns they made or you know what obstacles they overcame to become as great as they are at their craft and I think because of myself and Jack's track record obviously Mm -hmm. a spotted track record to say the least but it's always been real you know I mean we've got into some trouble we've owned up to it if we needed to apologize we've apologized you know if we were on you know if you know we did we just we've always handled ourselves I think in the realest type way. So I think when we get our guests, they understand that, you know, we're not here for clickbait. We're not here to start trouble. We really just want to be able to have an in-depth conversation. And and like I said, it was never a situation where I wanted to put a mic in someone's face. I don't want that kind of interview. I want to be a kickback atmosphere. Like we're at the house, you know, medicating or having a drink and just having a good conversation. And I think that's what we've been able to do is because, of the realness Jack and I have always approached life with and with the game with, uh, the people respect that. So they feel like they can come and be comfortable with us. And we have, you know, there was a, I forgot the guy's name, Phil something from the New York Post that just wrote a, a horrible yeah. article about yeah. me, Jack. Like, I horrible. Saw I saw and that. I'm, and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, you're mad because you've been in this space for 30 plus years. At the time, we hadn't even done all the smoke for a year but our resume far succeed you know exceeded you know anything he's ever done you know what i mean but to to me how i used to use that for fuel as a player i use that for fueling the media now you know what i mean and it's crazy you know that we call ourselves media now because i never thought (laughs) me media you know I know. I, I, i like to say that you know seeing people like me, you, and the knuckleheads and all these mm-hmm. other people that are former players in this space, we've always allowed other people to tell our stories. Right. We've always just been the talent. You know what I mean? You go score touchdowns or dunk, shoot threes, hit home runs, mm-hmm. you know, run world records and track and let, you know, let, let these white people tell our stories. But we're mm-hmm. intelligent enough now and can hold the conversation mm-hmm. long enough and, and, and paint a picture well enough now to tell our own story. And right. I think, again, that's a little bit of that power slippage that they're starting to see from mainstream media that what are these athletes doing coming in here and doing our jobs and, and right. for, for in some cases doing, you know, our job better. A lot better. <laughs> a lot better. Uh, so I, one more question for you. Um, so I, I'm a part of this Facebook group called Black Fathers. 
And there is a big group. It's funny because it started off kind of small. Um, you know, I, I just had my, you know, my first son, you know, he's 15 now. So it was a long time ago. Now it's up to thousands and thousands of people in the, in the group. Right. So we have all these different conversations in there. Guys sometimes ask for help about stuff, encouragement. Sometimes they just want to brag on their kids, guys going through the court system, whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like a serious group, you know, of, of, of brothers that, that are really, you know, vibing off of each other. Right. So they had a big discussion and they were talking about you and how you were able to be the bigger man um, for the sake of the children. I think it was a, a post that you, as like for Christmas or something like that. It was for the twins' birthday party. There we go, the twins' birthday party. And there was a big picture with you and, you know, Derek Fisher was there and everybody. Mm-hmm. So they just wanted me to ask, how did you do that? How did you put everything aside and how did you do that? Yeah. That's a question. Um, I, I mean, you guys, you know, you guys said it, it, it's for the betterment of the kids. Obviously, when the situation had went down, uh, you know, what people say is, you know, he stole your wife, this and that. So my ex-wife and I, Gloria, at the time were divorced and she happened to move on with him. And, you know, now that I'm on good terms with both of them, you know, the the initial conversation was, you know, you can't help the the way I approach it was you can't help who you fall in love with, but at the same time, there's ways to handle situations, you know, like this. Respectfully, the fact that we were teammates for a few years, we were good friends, you know, we hung out. You know, if a situation like that arises, like I said, you can't help who you fall for, but at the same time, there's a way to handle it. You could have came to me as a man, she could have came to me as a, as an ex, mm-hmm. but to allow my kids be the one to break the ice to me what really kind of bothered me. Um, so, you know, we had our altercation, um, but, you know, they they had found love. And, and who was I to get in the way with that? You know, like I said, my ex and I were done. Um, so it just came to a situation where he was always at their games and it was just kind of an awkward, and I coached my kids. Ever since I retired, I coached them at football and basketball. So I'm, they're always going to see me there. Right. And he would come with glory. And it was just awkward because he would kind of stand away from everyone when I was there or trail attack when everyone is leaving. And I'm just like, I don't want this awkwardness. And at the same time, my kids really liked him. You know, you know, mm-hmm. dad, we love Derek. He's great. He's this, this, and that is my, that's my first concern. So the fact that, you know, I, you know, her and I were out of love and we were both going in our separate directions and she was, you know, in a relationship with him, I'm just like, well, let me just holler at this dude and kind of give him my point of view. And just like I told you, you know, I just didn't like the way you handled the situation. If you would have came to me like a man, I wouldn't have liked it, but I would have respected it. You know what I mean? I had to respect it. And like I said, the, my only priority in this situation now is my kid's happiness and there's happiness there. So it took us, uh, you know, maybe two or three years to mm-hmm. get there. Uh, you know, but now, you know, they're, Happily, you know, in their situation, I have a situation with my youngest son's mom, um, you know, so we've all moved on and, 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 and for, the, for the betterment of the twins, because when, when my ex-wife and I were going through things, I could see it on the boys. And, and, and that was the last thing, you know, they were five when we started, um, when we started, you know, separating and kind of going through the divorce and, you know, they're 12 now. So it's. It was just a tough situation to kind of see them have to to bear the weight of their parents' issues. So I wanted to try to do, you know, once I was in a good space and, you know, ready to move forward, I wanted to relieve any kind of stress from their minds because, you know, being kids is already stressful enough. Um, I didn't want them to have to deal with anything uh, that was adult 
uh, cause. So, like I said, squash the beef. We're in a great place now. Um, you know, we spent their birthday together. You know, oddly enough, I had a situation at my house. Obviously, COVID safe, but you know, I had my current, I had my current girl, I had my ex-wife, and I had my former teammate. You know what I mean? So it's just, but like I said, it was for the twins' birthday. Everyone had a good time. People were drinking. All the adults were outside playing laser tag. So it was just like a good, solid environment because. You know, at the end of the day, we're week on, week off. So he's the man in their life for two weeks out of the month. You know, for half a year, he's the man they're going to see. You know what I mean? So I just hit him with, you know, we got to do a good job of raising these boys. You know, like we're on the same team again. You know what I mean? So our goal is to raise two young biracial but African-American boys uh, in, th- in this country. And, uh, you know, outside of the move he's pulled, Fish has always been a cool dude to me. You know what I mean? So once we got past, you know, the situation, I think we were able to, you know, shake hands like men and understand it's not about us no more. It's about the kids. Wow. That that, that shows a lot of maturity. You know what I mean? I got to be honest with you. It does. It took a minute. You know, it took a minute because, and like I said, that's one of the things that I think has been able to help me be successful in this space because I never looked at myself as an NBA player. Like I'm a man first. So if disrespectful stuff happens to me, I'm going to act accordingly. You know, if you think about it, like people have been killed for shit much less than that. You know what I mean? Like stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. stepping on those kind of toes, like in real life, real Mm -hmm. stuff goes down. So I didn't look at myself as, Oh man, damn, he did that to me, but I play in the NBA. So I'm just not like, nah, like you disrespected me as a man. So, you know, we went about what we feel like we needed to do to to, to get the situation handled. But like I said, I think that, you know, that was obviously a a knock or, you know, I was criticized by some, but then applauded by some, but like I said, I think I handled it the best way I could at the time. And and the fact that we're on talking terms and and, and really co-parenting terms now, it all ended up um, for the good, but it was tough. Trust well, me, it was tough. Well, like I said, well, uh, well, just know in, in the Facebook group I'm in with black fathers with thousands of people, nobody criticized your initial reaction. I, I just want to let you know that everybody <laughs> was in your corner and understood exactly how you responded. I appreciate, it. Well, I appreciate well, it. Well, let me say, you know, like I said, much respect to you and everything that you and Stack are doing. Keep doing it. You know what I mean? I love to keep supporting you, especially with the stuff that you're doing with keeping. Biden accountable. So I would, you know, if you need any help with that or be a part of something or, you know, recruit different people, because that's something that is really important moving forward, because we have to hold them accountable. Like I said, it can't be just a party and everybody happy because Trump is gone. And then Mm -hmm. it can't be that. We got to keep it and keep keep the heat on them. Oh, and once we get done, send me your email. You know, next time we have, we're, we're always looking for like-minded people with the platform if we have a voice and and, and understand the greater good of, of the group, you know. So I'll, I'll plug you in the next time we have, you know, we just had a call with the Surgeon General um, a week and a half ago asking, mm-hmm. you know, because they want us to start telling people to take these these vaccines. And we're like, hell no. Like, explain right, right. to us what, you know what I mean? So, like, we're right. having these real conversations with people who are in charge now, you know what I mean? So I'd love to bring you in the group. I've been a fan of, obviously, ever since we beat you, uh, when you guys came to UCLA, when you were at Syracuse. You know, but the way you were able to carry yourself throughout your career, always, the, you know, the uh, constant professional, and then what you've been able to do, um, obviously, post-basketball and in your books and in writing and, you know, just showing that you care, you know what I mean? So I've always been a fan of that, and I'll salute you for that so i would love to you know bring you in the fold and 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 shit help us out 
That's what's up. I really appreciate that, man. And, no you doubt. know, definitely mutual respect. So I'm going to take you up on that, man, and keep doing what yeah. you're doing, man. And thanks for coming okay. on the rematch. Thanks for being a part of my book. And yeah. uh, like I said, stay safe and keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely, bro. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, Vinny Del Negro, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AtonThomas36. Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.